Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 9th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and answer a couple quick reader emails. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, let's uh, let's get this started. Let's... let's uh, Let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start off with Arrested Development. The uh, They released the recut version of season four last week. Uh, have either of you seen this yet? I haven't. I wasn't a huge fan of season four, so I didn't really bother to, to rewatch the remix version. I have not either. I, I've been meaning to watch this, but I just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, a lot of the criticism of season four was that everybody uh, they couldn't get everybody together uh, to film, you know, t- together. So the the storylines were so fragmented, uh, and it was also like kind of presented out of order in a way. Uh, the, the creators of Arrested Development recut everything in. Uh, I think chronological order and presented in this new recut version, which is causing a bit of controversy. HT, tell us about it. Yeah, so Mitch Hurwitz, the creator of Arrested Development, essentially recut uh, Arrested Development season four into the traditional uh, storylines that we see in the first three seasons of Arrested Development. The original season four had it as uh, each episode would would focus on a particular member of the Booth family in a sort of Rashomon-style storytelling. And this was met with some mixed uh, appraisal when it first uh, debuted a few years ago. And now it's been recut as more of just, like like you said, chronological. And in the process, that has expanded the season length from uh, the original 15-episode run to 22 episodes because they've cut down uh, the times from each episode, which would go on for about like 30 minutes, and they're now down to 22 minutes, 23 minutes each. And um, because of that, and because Hurwitz also used some extra footage he hadn't initially used, they were able to stretch it to 22 episodes, uh, which would enable them to be um, syndicated, essentially. And so this syndication pact is kind of the source of the new rift between um, Hurwitz and 20th Century 
Fox Television and the cast of Arrested Development. So essentially with the syndication, um, the studio would be getting a lot more money in as well as Hurwitz. And um, the actors such as Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, Michael Sarah, and David Cross are apparently approaching them for additional compensation for these extra episodes, uh, which was not part of their original deal when the season four was, was first filmed. And um, because 20th Century Fox Television is sort of balking at this request saying that they have the right to re-edit this television and make whatever so much more money out of it. Uh, this has kind of caused like a, a tension between the cast and the crew. This is like an interesting scenario because I don't think this has probably ever happened in the history of of television or movies because they're, you know, they're releasing the same season in a new cut. I mean, I guess movies get recut all the time with director's cuts. I'm wondering how, uh, you know, that is dealt with uh, in terms of, like, you know, the cast uh, getting paid. But let's move on to a bit of good news, and that is that Jordan Peele has announced his new horror movie, Us. This is his follow-up for the uh, fantastic Get Out uh, Chris, you are super excited about this. What do we know? Yeah, some would say I'm too excited about this, but uh, this this news broke last night, and I was just over the moon about it because uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Get Out, and I'm a huge fan of just the horror genre in general, and I love the idea that Jordan Peele is sticking with that genre. Um, so yeah, last night, Jordan Peele tweeted out a uh, a teaser poster for his film. Uh, the, the tagline says, A New Nightmare from the Mind of the Academy Award winner, Jordan Peele. Uh, it's called Us. And Lupita Nyong'o, Elizabeth Moss, and Winston Duke are all in talks to star in the film. Um, details are really – they're not really any details about what it's about. Um, all we know is that it's, it's about two couples, one white, one black. And that's pretty much all we know about it. Uh, in the past, Jordan Peele has said, you know, he intends to stick with the horror genre. Um, and that's really it. We know it's a horror movie. We know who's probably going to be in it. We know Jordan Peele is making it. And we know it'll be out in March 2019. And really, that's enough for me to get very excited. That's really all I need to know <laughs> to get excited about this movie. And it, it seems with these two couples, it seems like they're, they're, he's still sticking to, you know, probably saying something larger than just a horror movie about uh, the social political uh, climate of today, I assume. And it's also yeah, interesting. Yeah, I remember in the – oh, sorry. I I remember in the aftermath of Get Out, he said he was planning to do a series of social horror movies. So it's probably along the same lines. And it's cool that we could get to see a Black Panther reunion with this movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. HT, are you excited? I am excited. I love this cast, Lupita Nyong'o. I've uh, raved about her before. I'm just so happy that she's getting more work. And I think Winston Duke was a breakout of Black Panther as well. Elizabeth Moss is phenomenal in every episode of The Handmaid's Tale. So I can't wait for this cast. I'm just I'm really excited about this just concoction of stars and uh, directors. Yeah, and Moss was great in Mad Men, but I feel like people didn't take her seriously until Handmaid's Tale. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that Hollywood is finally uh, casting her into some great stuff. And um, I'm excited to see what this is. And I'm excited that, you know, a, a good filmmaker is getting the chance to do original films. And, uh, you know, I know Jordan Peele had uh, flirted with the idea of doing, um, what, Akira at uh, Warner Brothers. Um, but it, it's interesting that, you know, he's taking this path 
path of uh, doing these smaller original films, which is is going to be interesting to see. Uh, but let's move on to something that isn't small, uh, and that is uh, the Harley Quinn movie. Margot Robbie has been out doing some press, and she she basically gave us some new details on what this film is. HC, what do we know? Well, her new details are actually a little bit old because she revealed what her original pitch for the Harley Quinn solo movie will be, which in essence isn't really a solo movie because it's sort of a riff off of um, uh, Birds of Prey, which uh, director Kathy Yan is set to helm. So Margot Robbie gave an update on the film saying that, I pitched the idea of an R-rated girl gang film, including Harley, because I was like, Harley needs friends. Harley loves interacting with people, so don't ever make her do a standalone film. She's got to be with other people. It should be a girl gang. I wasn't seeing enough girl gangs on screen, especially in the action space. So that was always a big part of it. So this will essentially be a big team-up movie with Harley leading the way, potentially, with uh, the the Birds of Prey, which usually includes... uh, Batman heroes or DC heroes such as Black Can- Black Canary, Barbara Gordon's, aka Batgirl, and Huntress. Okay, now I'm, I'm about to upset some DC fans here, uh, but to me this sounds like DC is copying the path that Marvel took with Deadpool 2. Because, uh, you know, Deadpool needed a team around him to to be interesting. Uh, I I agree that Harley Quinn probably needs a team around her to uh, have people to interact with. Um, And for quite some time, we've been tracking two different movies, the Harley Quinn movie and this Birds of Prey. Does this confirm that the Harley Harley Quinn movie isn't happening? So in the original report with... uh with Kathy Yan being uh, tapped to helm the film, they talked about this being inspired by the Birds of Prey movie. So I feel like they combined the two uh, as the Harley Quinn solo movie and the Birds of Prey movie. The Gotham City Sirens is another project altogether, as well as the Harley Quinn and Joker uh, film as well. So this is something that's, I guess, a culmination of uh, Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn, which is kind of interesting because Harley Quinn is usually a foe of the Birds of Prey and not actually a team member in the comics. So basically DC has given up on the DCU and has gone on to the (laughs) Harley Quinniverse. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Moving on. uh, Let's talk about uh, uh, there has been an article that basically revealed a lot of the salaries, the current salaries for Hollywood talent. Uh, We usually don't get into that kind of information, but I think a bunch of this is pretty interesting, including Robert Downey Jr. being paid $10 million for his eight minutes of of screen time in Spider-Man Homecoming, which, by the way, Part of it is just all CG, so he wasn't even on set for for most of that because it was you know an Iron Man costume and he was doing uh, VR uh, ADR voice. Uh, but uh, Chris, you wrote this up. What what are some of the other interesting findings from this report? Oh uh, yeah, well the most interesting finding is uh, I'm a poor person and I will never see any money like this in my life. But <laughs> um, <laughs> like writing this kind of depressed me a little. But that said, uh, some of the most surprising things were uh, Dwayne Johnson is getting a boatload of money for the that film called Red Notice, which hasn't really even started filming yet. It's a it's an art heist movie, and that movie itself set off this huge bidding war. But Dwayne Johnson alone is getting twenty two million dollars for that movie. And one of the most interesting things about that story I found was he's getting a million dollars alone just to promote the film on his social media feeds, which is something I hadn't even really considered with, you know, popular actors who have a social media presence. 
apparently, you know, actors who have that big social following are, are writing that into their contracts now where, you know, if you want me to promote your movie on Twitter, you got to pay me. So, and, and The uh, Rock has 13 million followers on Twitter. Uh, who knows how many on Facebook and other platforms? Uh, I mean, that is a sizable audience. But you think like when you cast a big star, you're you're you think that they would be wanting to promote the film for free on on their their uh all the platforms that they have available to them. Right. That's what I was thinking, but maybe that explains why I am poor because if I thought like, <laughs> if I thought like this, I'd, I'd be raking it in. But yeah, so uh, tomorrow the- I'm going to get an email from Chris being like, I want extra money to promote the fast film <laughs> stories on Twitter. The rock is doing yeah. it. Chris, your next career is going to be as an influencer. I hope so. <laughs> um, uh, some other things where uh, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard both got a, a a raise for coming back for Jurassic Park: Fallen Kingdom, but Chris Pratt ultimately is is getting two million dollars more than Bryce Dallas Howard. Now I know people will argue he's clearly the bigger star. He's doing Marvel movies, but it did bother me just a little bit. Uh, not to get all you know virtue sing- signaling here, but it did bother me a little bit that. Bryce House Howard isn't getting the same amount of money as him because, you know, when you look at the the trailers and the posters and all that stuff for the movie, she's featured just as much as he is, pretty much equally. So it would have been nice if that had happened. But again, I'm sure someone will argue he's the the bigger star. Uh, beyond do, that, do, do we know how much they got on the first film? Uh, I don't have that. You don't have that information because the first film was made right after uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was being, you know, filmed. So Chris Pratt wasn't even a huge star when that was made. Um, So it's interesting to see this discrepancy. Um, HT, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not quite happy with it either. I feel like the screen time they get is also in equal amounts as well. And I think their characters, in my opinion, bear equal weight, especially I think in the sequel, from what I've seen of the trailers anyway. So uh, it's not a great look. Yeah. Well, it's definitely getting a lot of write-up around the interweb, so I'm sure Universal is going to have to deal with it in some way. Uh, Chris, is there any other interesting uh, salary info? Uh, the, the the last most interesting thing is uh, this is a good thing. Patty Jenkins got a huge uh, payday. She's getting nine million dollars for Wonder Woman two, which is apparently three times more than she made for directing the first Wonder Woman. Uh, I remember it took a long time for them to finally announce Patty Jenkins was coming back for Wonder Woman two, and it seems like that's because she was working hard to get that that big payday, and I'm very happy about that because she deserves it since that's the only good. Uh, DC film to this date, so she's she's earned it, yeah, and that also makes her the highest paid female director of all time, which is pretty impressive, or maybe not impressive. <laughs> Looking at that figure and probably comparing it to some of the the male directors that have been, uh, you know, making films uh, throughout Hollywood for years, but uh, we're making progress, right? Um, maybe <laughs> no, <laughs> not not. I mean, it's you know, it's good. She she like you said, like that's a big payday but i feel like it could be bigger but yeah we'll see you know baby steps i guess i mean considering robert downey jr got paid that amount of money for spider-man homecoming and uh probably was on set for only a few days uh you know i'm not saying that acting isn't a hard job i i've been on many movie sets and it is uh pretty tough but directing a film for you know there's two, three year investment in that. Uh, it's it's pretty insane that she, you know, is making less 
than than that. Let's move on to the man who killed Don Quixote and uh, Terry Gilliam. Uh, the, you know, this project has been plagued from the start, and it, we have a little bit more bad news. HT, tell us about it. Ah, the 20-year curse on the man who killed Don Quixote continues. Uh, but the new batch of troubles actually comes with uh, some good news for a change. So I will, I'm will. i going to start with the good news because I think that this movie needs some good news every now and then. And that is that The, the Man Who Killed Don Quixote, uh, a film that Terry Gilliam has been working on since 1998 and has tried to... Um, film before it got shut down before it got revived and then shut down and revived again uh and is now heading over to the Cannes film festival uh it was met with a bunch several legal troubles recently after a former producer um took terry gilliam to court over the rights to the films claiming that he still had the rights to the film but in a court case it at the paris um district court uh they ruled that terry gilliam has the rights to the film and that the film can premiere at the Cannes Film Festival as it was initially planned. So, hooray! This movie is finally coming to and being revealed to the world. Uh, hey, I, only- I, I don't believe of its existence until I see it. Well, on May 19th, we have 10 more days uh, for things to go wrong. But for now, it's heading to the world premiere on May 19th at the Cannes Film Festival. And but- speaking of things going wrong... <laughs> But while it it can make its world premiere, its U.S. distribution uh, is in jeopardy because Amazon Studios, which initially signed on to distribute the film stateside, excuse me, in 2015, has uh, dropped The Man Who Killed Don Quixote from distribution. So essentially is now left without a distributor for the U.S. And, uh, well, that one is sort of, we don't really know anything else from there. It's just... uh, kind of left to its world premiere and maybe not coming to the States. We'll see. At the Cannes Film Festival, there are other distributors coming, and they may pick up the film after it makes its premiere. And uh, Gilliam, how how is he doing? Because he just suffered a stroke. Yeah. uh, More bad news, essentially, (laughs) is that Terry Gilliam, this this past weekend, uh, suffered a minor stroke and was hospitalized. Uh, this was actually in the midst of this legal battle with um, the producer, Paul Branco. So, but apparently he's home and he's recovering uh, and will be hopefully better in time for the movie's premiere. I hope he's okay. He, he He's a good filmmaker. I'd hate to see, uh, you know, uh, I would hate to see like uh, the, the, this destroy him. Um, you know, this is just a it's just a movie. Uh, you know, we don't need to see a, a documentary in a few years called uh, "The Film That Killed Terry Gilliam," because that would be that would be horrible. I'm sorry, that's a bad joke. A very there was already a documentary joke. about this, the first production of this. So, yeah, have you ever seen that? I haven't seen it. I was just amazed that it, it existed. Oh my god, it's it's so good, uh, Chris. You must have seen that original. Uh, uh, what is it, Man from La Mancha? Yeah, I, I have seen that, which feels like a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, it's it's great to see that the film is finally on the cusp of actually happening after all that time. Uh, but if you are into film documentaries, I would I would highly suggest you seek that out. I'm not sure where it's available these days. I know it was available on DVD, but a film like that might might have been lost on a uh, digital uh, you know rental and stuff. You'll have to 
go searching for it. Okay, let's talk about a bunch of uh, adaptations coming to TV and cinemas. Let's start off first with Friday Night Lights, which started as a book turned into a big screen movie uh, by Peter Berg uh, starring Billy Bob Thornton and then became a TV series on NBC uh, uh, starring Kyle Chandler Um, and uh, you know a beloved TV series a TV series I love and I don't even love sports Uh, and uh, now word is that David Gordon Green the director of Pineapple Express is in talks to direct a new big screen version of Friday Night Lights uh which I guess is going to be a completely new story, not related to the original movie or TV series. Uh, I know you guys have not yet seen Friday Night Lights, the TV show. I'm a huge fan of the show, uh, what Jason Kapnis did with uh, the series. And and it almost pains me to see, like, uh, This Is Us, that current show, doing so well because it's such a bad version of what Friday Night Lights and Parenthood did before it. Uh, But uh, I I, I know, are you guys, we were kind of uh, shaming you in the Slash Film Slack for not having seen Friday Night Lights. Are you guys going to give it a chance? I'll put it on the list. (laughs) No, I How big is this list, HG? How big is the list? It's of I don't even I don't even know at this point. What you're saying uh, probably, is you don't even have a list. <laughs> it's in my head. <laughs> I have been planning to watch the series for a long time just because I've had so many friends who have been telling me how much I will love it, and because I kind of do reference the show a lot despite never having seen it. Uh, the clear eyes, full hearts can't lose line is very um, <laughs> saturated in pop culture, but I, I need to watch it. I know it's a common occurrence that I'm being shamed on this podcast and on the Slack, but you know, I have been meaning to watch it, so you don't need to shame me. I will see it at some point. Uh, I think you would personally, knowing your taste in movies and TV shows, I think you would fall in love with the show and fall in love with the characters in the show. Uh, I am kind of shocked that uh, that Chris has not given this a chance since he watches nearly ev- every piece of content released uh, on streaming. Uh, Chris, defend yourself. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um I think I've just sort of had like a mental block. Like on one level, the fact that it was a movie first and then a TV show, my, uh, I guess maybe it's like OCD makes me feel like, oh, I can't watch the movie until I, I can't watch the show until I see the movie. I don't really feel like watching the movie. And then on the other hand, I'm not really into sports at all or football at all. And that sort of has kept me from watching it. But based on, you know, what everyone has said, I do intend to finally get around to watching it. Someday. Someday soon. <laughs> Someday soon. Um, well, I don't know what the point of making a new movie out of this franchise is. I mean, I guess, you know, you just need a brand name on a football movie category, you know. Um, but uh, we'll have to see. Uh, give it a chance. Dave Gordon Green has done some some good stuff. Uh, let's move on to movies turning into TV shows. And YouTube has announced that they are making a TV series based on the film The Edge of Seventeen. Uh, HT, what do we know here? So YouTube Red will be uh, developing an Edge of Seventeen TV spinoff, and this is based off of the acclaimed and 
really good movie starring Haley Steinfeld as a high school outcast whose uh, best friend starts dating her popular older brother and causes her to spiral into a pit of sort of self-destruction and depression. It's a really great film and it earned some Golden Globe nods for both Steinfeld and for the film. Uh, But it will be a completely... Uh, different TV spinoff as far as I can tell. It will feature an entirely new cast and will follow um, based on THR a high school student and her best friend as they navigate the relationships feelings and realities of being a teenage girl. And then YouTube also says that the series will uh, quote subvert standard teen show tropes unquote. So it seems like it's kind of using the brand name of Edge of Seventeen to, as the sort of premise uh, slash launching pad for a character-driven teen series on YouTube Red. Um, What do you think of this? I know you're a big fan of the the movie, but does it need to be a TV series? Uh, I mean, I was skeptical because I love the movie so much, and I think it works so well as a two-hour film. It's a really brutally honest movie uh, that deals with depression and social anxiety really well. And it also has an Asian-American romantic lead, which is really exciting for me, even though the actor was actually like 30 years old, which I found hilarious, but he was really cute. Um, so I I was skeptical about this TV series just because the premise is feels so unique and so fitting for a movie and that and and so general, I guess, that it feels like this premise, this TV series spinoff could just be an original TV series. And oh, not something sure. that's connected to ages, Edge of 17. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, to play devil's advocate, I feel like the best uh, TV series, movies that have turned into TV series thus far have been kind of based on character and tone rather than like a big high concept idea. Like, I, I feel like Fargo is, is, is so awesome. And to me, that's all about tone and character um, and expanding on what, you know, the Coen brothers were trying to do, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little skeptical as well. Although I did just get done binging, uh, the karate kid sequel series, Cobra Kai, which is a YouTube red series. And, uh, I'm actually thinking about watching it a second time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I kind of loved it. Uh, uh, so I don't know YouTube who, who would have thought, I mean, I guess like, you know, a few years ago before, you know, when Netflix is still a DVD service and they were announcing they were going to do original programming on their, you know, streaming service. I was like, you know, that's never going to work. <laughs> and I and I kind of feel the same way with YouTube. But, uh, you know, they have my eyes. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm curious to see uh, more from them, see what, what else they can do other than Cobra Kai and, you know, the lower budget uh, YouTube star kind of stuff that they've done previously with uh, YouTube Red. Uh, I want to see some more serious uh, TV series from YouTube. Uh, but let's get into a couple uh, emails in the mailbag. Uh, th- these emails have to do with um avengers infinity war so if you have not if you still have not seen that movie i don't know what you're doing listening to this podcast but uh you might want to turn off now because uh spoilers for those films uh the other day we talked about how spider-man homecoming sequel comes out only two months after avengers 4 and how that will pose an interesting problem for sony's marketing team we got a bunch of emails writing in about that uh austin price from baltimore maryland uh wrote in uh that the question i have is 
is advertising even that important anymore? Uh, he, he basically says if Infinity War or Spider-Man movie is coming out in, in two months, he's already there. It doesn't matter about the advertising. He doesn't need to see the trailers, the TV spots. Um, so he wanted to get our thoughts on are you know, is the marketing even important to get people in those seats? HT, what are your thoughts? Um, that's a good question because I feel like, you know, the traditional TV marketing and movie trailers uh, in the sense that, like, you know, that's the first way that people hear about them isn't they don't have that much power anymore. But still, like we make our living basically off of writing up these TV spots and TV trailers and people still look at them and click on them and overanalyze each one of them. Uh, so. I wonder, I mean, I feel like it's maybe the difference between people who are the hardcore fans versus people who are just like the casual fans of this or casual audience goers. Um, I can't, I don't know if I can speak for people who are casual movie goers who who are just like hear of a movie somehow through the grapevine and be like, oh, okay, I will think of that. Because I think that there is a larger interplay of both movie trailers and ads and maybe Rotten Tomatoes or people telling them in person. So um, I That's a good question that I don't really know the answer to. I think it depends on how you personally approach uh, movies and the movies that you want to see. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, you're onto something. I think we are in a bubble. We're in this film Twitter bubble where people are either very interested in analyzing and finding out more and seeing the latest footage or people, you know, are excited about the, the latest thing but don't want to see a trailer. But I think uh, the general public does like – you know, when I step outside my bubble and I'm in an Uber and I'm talking to like an Uber driver, which is probably a bad example, but uh, when, when I'm talking to gen, you know, gen public, uh, you know, it seems very clear to me that they are very not uh, connected uh, to what's going on or have as much knowledge as we assume they even have about what's going on in cinema. Um, I do know from, you know, my experience in, in this industry that uh, TV spots uh, and trailers, but mostly TV spots, have a large amount to do with how many people show up in theaters. Uh, studios have tested TV spots uh, in some markets and not put them in other markets. And they, they find that like the more money they put in TV spots, it, it equates to the awareness level. And if that awareness is, you know, of the, pro- uh, the property is good, more people end up showing up in cinemas. It, it actually is kind of like one of those things where it takes money to make money. Um, so I, I think that's the case. And I think also you got to consider that you know disney is not distributing this movie it's it's sony uh and sony i don't think is going to be willing to wait until two months before the movie to to start giving away what the movie is about uh which is kind of um i guess a spoiler for avengers 4 right so uh we have another question here from paul i uh he wonders uh could they leave the disappearance to spider-man and the chaos that was left behind as the teaser trailer uh, Tony Stark handing the Spider-Man suit uh, from Infinity War to someone else or something like that and tease it up before Infinity War or, or in, until Avengers 4 comes to theaters and then actually start the real marketing campaign that I, I guess will reveal that Tom Holland is back as Spider-Man. Uh, Chris, is that an insane idea? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't. I honestly can't see that happening. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't think I could could see that happening either. But I'm wondering if there is a way to market Spider-Man Home the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel before the release of Avengers Four without kind of showing Tom Holland. But I guess I guess it probably it, it's probably not possible <laughs> because you, you have to you have to. Um, I mean, the po- there's going to be a teaser poster out at that point, and it's going to have Tom Holland's name on it. So I, I don't, I just don't think that's possible. I think uh, the marketing for Spider-Man: Homecoming Two or whatever they end up calling it will have to spoil it in some way, unless they end up uh, pushing the release date back, which is also all, also very possible. Uh, but that brings us to the end of today's slash film daily. Chris, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at cevangelista413. HD, where can we find you? I'm also at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at htranbui. Uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday on slashfilm.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com. And please mention your name and general geographic location in case we mention them on the air. Please go rate and review, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>